Let's pray. Oh, God, rejoice, rejoice, hallelujah, as the men just sang. We've been in worship from the moment we walked in. Nothing stopped. We're bending our ear. We're hoping to hear from you through your word. Don't disappoint us, please. Don't let this frail voice get in the way of yours. Speak to us in Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Once every four years, the whole world catches this Olympic bug, this quadrennial celebration of youth, where the young of the world on the stage of earth perform, and everybody who's old wishes I could be young again just like them. Even the, the, the august Wall Street Journal has to get in on the act this last week. I want to share an op-ed piece written by the rabbi and minister of congregation Shi'arif Israel in Manhattan. I can share this because my friend Don Wilson tore it out of his uh, Wall Street Journal and shared it with me. The story is straight out of the Summer Olympics, not the Olympics in Rio, but the Summer Games in Paris, 1924. Two British runners, okay? So we got two more runners on the scene. Two British runners, a Jew named Harold Abrahams and a Scot named Eric Liddell, a devout Christian. The whole world knows their story because 35 years ago this very year, that story was immortalized in the great chariots of fire. You remember that? Dun, 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 dun. All right, well, there they are. I'll spare you the soundtrack. There they are. The world knows their story. So the rabbi takes that story and he opines. He comments on it. I just want to read a line or two from his uh, op-ed piece. Abrahams, as depicted in the film, feels stung by the latent anti-Semitism he encounters in elite English society. Seeing his Jewishness as a social handicap, he runs competitively to gain acceptance. Yet from a Jewish perspective, Abraham's life remains tragic. As a rabbi, a fellow Jew, as a rabbi, I actually draw inspiration from the life of Eric Liddell, a devout Christian. The Scottish runner's religious identity also motivates his athletics, though in a very different way. In the film, Liddell's father, a missionary, by the way, a missionary to China, and Eric was born in China. In the film, Father tells his son, I'm quoting, you're the proud possessor of many gifts and it's your sacred duty to put them to good use. The Father's point is the people of faith should sanctify the world, the rabbi says. Sanctify the world. Don't reject it. Liddell's explanation for why he runs is the most memorable quote from the film, and you will recall it. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now the story that we all know. While Americans rightly exult in the achievements of U.S. medalists, Chariots of Fire also serves as a reminder that athletics and even patriotism only mean so much. When Liddell is informed that a qualifying heat takes place on Sunday, his Sabbath, this Jew writing says, well, that's his Sabbath, he chooses not to compete in that race. And by the way, it was that decision 
to miss the 100-meter dash for which he was considered a certain gold medalist and instead to try to run the 400-meter race where everybody's saying, he's not going to be able to do it. It was that decision that catapulted him to global fame. In the end, Eric Liddell won the gold on the 400-meter race. Returned to China, now himself a missionary, and 21 years later, after winning the gold medal, died in China in a Japanese prisoner of war concentration camp just months before World War II ended. I love this poster that they produced for the life testimony of this young man and this athlete. Put it on the screen, please. This athlete who became a missionary. You see it there. Can, can you read the words there? Not for crowds, not for country, not for fame, not for glory. He ran for God. But that's the way to live your life. You knew starting out here, that's the way to live your life. Run for God. Whatever it is you do, run for Him. There's something in the heart of even a secular world as the world has become today. There is a deep admiration. There's, there, there is something that, a, that, the, that the man of the world, the woman of the world finds extremely appealing to see a human being go deep inside of him, deep inside of her for the sake of conviction. The world rises up in awe. As we'll see, speaking of deep conviction in today's story, title of today's story, The Well Digger, How to Live Deeply in a Sun-Scorched Land. It's a rather obscure story. I dare say nobody here has really spent any time on it. But perhaps in this forgotten piece of narrative, there is a secret embedded for us third millennials that we need to get. So without any further ado, open your Bible with me to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 26. Let's go. Genesis 26. Bring your Bible. Uh, new students, every Sabbath, I guarantee you, we will use it. Genesis chapter 26. I'm in the New International Version. Whatever translation you have is fine by me. You've got a device. That's okay. You didn't bring anything. There's a pew Bible. Grab it. We're going to stay here. So you want to track the story. Genesis 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac, that's the boy of Abraham, went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, hit the pause button right there. Oh, the time out. Something sounds very familiar here, and that's what's happening. The writer of Genesis, who happened to have been Moses, has embedded in the opening salvo to this story key words that will remind the reader who's reading consecutively through Genesis, wait a minute, I read a story just like this a moment ago. Uh, yes, you did, in Genesis 20, as a matter of fact. Let me show you six parallels between Genesis 20 and 26, where we are. Parallel number one, same family tribe. We've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, same tribe. Parallel number two, same land in the dry Negev region of South Palestine, deserty, arid. Parallel number three, same city of Gerar, which is the seat of the Philistine fiefdom. Parallel number four, same king, Abimelech. All those scholars have finally concluded based on these two stories. You know what? Abimelech can't be his personal name. The story's wait. You can't have the same king in the same story, in two stories rather. It's like Pharaoh. It just means king. So we have the, we have the king of the Philistines. Parallel number five, same God shows up in the story. Parallel number six, and so does the same sin. Uh-oh. Yep. 
Keep reading. Verse 2. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you. Verse 3. Stay in this land for a while. Hit the pause button again. I, I want you to know that with every command of go from God, there is a command to stay. You see, some people spend their whole life chasing after a dream somewhere else, usually over the rainbow. But here's a story to remind us that happy are they who realize that a dream isn't what you pursue somewhere else. A dream is what you become where you are. Mm. Stay where you are, Isaac. And so those of you who are new students here, I'm going to make a little prophecy. There will be some moments in your journey at Andrews University when you're going to say, I'm out of here. I, I hope in those moments you will hear the quiet voice of God whisper to you what He whispered to Isaac. Verse 3 again. Stay in this land for a while. And I'll be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath, the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Stay in this land of learning, because you're going to learn. You're going to learn outside of textbooks. You're going to learn outside of laboratories. You're going to learn life. And the only way Isaac will, be, will learn the lesson he needs to learn is to stay right there. There are lessons you will learn far away from the academics, but will take place right here. Stay in the land. Learn with me. Verse 4, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Like I told you, Daddy, so I'm promising you. And I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations of earth will be blessed because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed me. Talking about your papa. He did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And if the story ended right there, whoa, we got a beautifully profound promise that we can take to the bank. But unfortunately, the story, there is more to the story. Dr. James Dobson, you ever heard that name? Dr. Dobson, James Dobson, still alive, but uh, no longer around, really. Uh, the, the, the famed child psychologist of last century, family counselor, used to love to tell a story about a young dad who's driving down the road. Okay, young dad driving down the road, his boy right here beside him, his little boy right here beside him. And then the dad does something that men do, and men cannot explain this. We do not know why we do this, but the dad hits the button, and he drops the window down, and then he, he expectorates. You have to get to be a senior at Anderson University to know that expectorate means spit. So he, out the window. He's bringing his eyes back to continue driving when he hears the gurgling sound, the same sound coming from a little throat beside him. And before the father can react, the boy went all over dad. Now, Dr. Dobson's point is like father, like son. That's exactly what we have here in Genesis 26. You can't believe it. Yep. Verse 6 again. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, uh-oh, he said, she is my sister. Now, the reader of Genesis knows this again. 
This has already happened twice with Father Abraham. Once when he went down to Egypt, yo, she's my, she's my sis. Almost lost his life. He did it again in Gerar, the same place with Abimelech. Lost his reputation. It's possible that Abraham was just too shamed to even tell Isaac about it, but whether Isaac ever heard from his dad or not, he follows in his dad's footsteps. Verse 7 again, And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Well, there is a seventh parallel that we could add to these two stories because both men, father and son, married as I've had the good fortune of doing, a beautiful woman. (laughs) And both of them were scared stiff that the men of the community would stiff them in order to run off with their girls. So they both lied about their wives. Yo, she's my sister. Really? Yep. Wow, pretty good-looking sister. Yeah, you should have seen our mother. The truth is it's never smart or clever or cute to lie. The price is too high. And the even sadder truth, now listen up, if you're ever going to be a parent one day or you're already a parent, the even sadder truth is that the sins, and I wince when I say this, the sins of the parents are often perpetuated in their children, not by divine decree but by frail modeling. There's a hard disk, Daddy, Mommy. There's a hard disk that is watching everything you do and recording every word you say. It's on the hard disk. Oh, my. It's a rather somber reminder. The price is too high to lie. And so Isaac tears a page out of his father's playbook and he lies. And then Jacob, who's born here, he's already alive, Jacob tears a page out of his daddy Isaac's playbook, and he lies to his daddy when his daddy is old, and he cheats him out of that birthright. And then when Jacob has boys, they all know the story, and they tear a page out of daddy's playbook, and they lie to daddy. You know, some animal did this, must have killed your boy Joseph when they sold him as a slave. Lying embeds itself deeply within our fallen hearts. You are still young. Don't tear a page out of Genesis' playbook, please. Just leave the page there. And yet, and this is, this is the glory, and yet what a God in this story. Do you remember? Do you remember how God described Abraham to Abraham's boy Isaac? I want you to go back and look at these words. We just blew through them here in verse 5. God is speaking to Isaac, and he said, Yo, Isaac, let me tell you about your dad. Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments. Are you talking about the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness? Keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. No matter how severe the meltdown you have been through, for the God of the universe, all it takes is one confession, and that is washed. There's some celestial book in heaven that has recorded that meltdown. It is washed from the divine record. What do you say to that? Amen. Come on, guys. This is clearly the glorious gospel, the everlasting gospel that begins in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. You have nothing to fear from this God who loves you 
and it will start over just like that. Wash the record. I mean, that's the gospel prophet Isaiah. Isn't that what he said? Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be? Yeah, we're going to have that reminder in just five months. White as snow. Same gospel prophet. Chapter 43, verse 25. I will remember your transgressions no more. No more. Same gospel prophet. Isaiah 44, 22. I will banish your sins like the morning mist. I've been out running every morning before the sun comes up. And I'm telling you, these last few weeks have been so muggy, so humid. 75 degrees we're talking about in the dark. That they're just, there's this low-lying sheets of mist that you run through and sweat even more. God says, like the sun that vanishes the mist, that's what I'll do with your sin, the record. It's the gospel. Paul says, here is the gospel. Here is a, 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 a faithful and trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, 1 Timothy 1.15. What a great note, by the way, to begin a new year. Don't you think? Good news for you and me. Okay, verse 8. He's lied. Here it comes. Now, verse 8. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. We are not told what was happening during that caressing. All we know is that it would never happen between a brother and a sister. So, verse 9, Abimelech summons Isaac and says, Yo, she, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might, have slept, might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So, verse 11, Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac went on to plant crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. After public deceit and public exposure, God is still willing to do business with his man. That man, that husband, that father, that patriarch of the tribe, God keeps his promises. He keeps His promises. I will bless you. And by the way, don't you dare. Oh, you can't miss next week. Next week we're going to begin a series. And the title of the series is hashtag RXF4NOW. That series begins next Sabbath. And next Sabbath I will share with you a secret shared with me by three individuals. That secret I have found and begun incorporating this summer and it has already changed my life. Next Sabbath, the secret that will change your life forever. God keeps His promises and blesses Isaac beyond imagining. The very same God, by the way, who this new year will bless you in this place. He's promised. Put the promise on the screen for you. I love this promise. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? It's very okay. 
It's very okay to ask God to bless you intellectually. To ask God to bless you academically, it's, it's okay. In fact, there's a prayer I pray a lot. And imagine my surprise when I hear Pastor Rodley incorporate that prayer into his morning pastoral prayer. You heard it just a moment ago. It's the prayer of Jabez. You know what? I was praying that prayer over and over yesterday. I'm saying, God, we're going to be in this sanctuary together. God, expand your territory. Don't worry about mine. Expand your territory. We need a whole new generation of young moral leaders. And I stand here today humbly to inform you that in answer to that prayer, you see that in front of you. What's that prayer? Do I come on? I want to pray it too. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. And Jabez prayed. Here's a little prayer of Jabez. Oh God, that you would bless me indeed and expand my territory, that your hand would be upon me so that you keep me from evil so that I may not cause pain. And the record reads, God said, you got it, boy. You got it. Pray the prayer. It's okay to ask. It's very okay to ask God to bless you intellectually, academically while you're here. John Henry Newman, one of the great Christian thinkers of all time, wrote these words. i put it on the screen for you. That perfection of the intellect, which is the result of education, that's why you're here, to perfect the intellect, and its bow, that's an old English word that means attractive, and its attractive ideal, to be imparted to individuals in their respective measures, that perfection of the intellect is the clear, calm, accurate vision and comprehension of all things as far as the finite mind can embrace them. Wow. That's the goal. Comprehend as much as the finite mind can embrace. By the way, another great Christian thinker living at the very same time as John Henry Newman also wrote the same point. Her name is Ellen White. This is in her classic Christ Object Lessons, page 333. Look at that on the screen. The Lord bids us love Him with all the heart, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and, and with all the mind. This lays upon us the obligation of developing the intellect to its fullest capacity that with all the mind we may know and love our Creator. Keep reading. The Lord desires us to obtain all the education possible with the object in view of imparting our knowledge to others. Here comes the stinger. We should not let slip even one opportunity of qualifying ourselves intellectually to work for God. It's very okay to ask God to bless you intellectually, and God will bless you to the max. And when he does, look out. Look out. Look what happens here. Verse 13. And the man, Isaac, became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines, Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. You see, when people envy you, and God blesses you intellectually, when people envy you, do you know what they do? They plug up your well. That's exactly what they do. Truth is, there will always be well pluggers, well pluggers 
Yeah, those others too. Well pluggers around you wherever you are. There's always going to be somebody throw rocks in there. It's probably your deep convictions, all right? You know, like uh, Eric. Deep convictions, you're willing to stand up and say yes. You're willing to stand up and say no like Joseph, Daniel, and Esther did. Come on, somebody like Haman is going to be around to plug up that well. They'll throw rocks and sands. They'll go after you with nails. I'm talking about well-meaning people. We're talking about roommates and classmates, friends and colleagues who can't stand to see somebody advancing under the anointing blessing of God. There will always be well-pluggers in your life. Take a page out of Isaac's playbook here. What happens if they plug your well, move and dig another one? They get you over there, move and dig another well. I'm telling you what, if you will move and and dig, if you'll move and dig, unplug and dig, unplug and dig, you will never be out of water, ever. And that's the point. When you follow the Lord of Isaac, you will never be out of water. And it doesn't get any better than that. In a dry and barren culture and society where people are panting, trying everything to swallow, hoping this will bring satisfaction, and they get no satisfaction in a society like ours. There will be people, young moral leaders, who will drink deeply of a well that will never run dry. I mean, what did Jesus, Pastor Jose read this a moment ago, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? Come on, put it on the screen. What did He say to her? No, that's not what He said. We're going to go on to the woman at the well. There we go. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, He tells the woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Keep reading. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you know what He's saying? With Jesus, the water will never run out. Ever, ever, ever. What did He say to His disciples? Look at this. All in the book of John. Uh, Here's John chapter 6. What did He say to His disciples? And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in Me will never be thirsty. Because with Jesus, the water will never run out. What did He say to the crowd in John 7? Take a look at this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's the point? With Jesus, the water will never run out. What does He say to the whole world? To end the book of Revelation 22, verse 17, here it is. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. What's the big point, Dwight? With Jesus, the water will never run out. Not while you're here at Andrews University, not while you're on this planet. The water will never run out. They'll plug your wells, you'll move. They'll plug your wells, you'll dig. Dig hard. Work deep. Go beneath the surface. Don't ever be satisfied with surface work. Go deep. And you'll never, ever run out of water. Ever. Say, Dwight, how would I get this water? 60 seconds. I'll give it to you in 60 seconds. Start the watch. How do you get the water? They put them on the screen. Just memorize them in your head. You'll get it down. You want water from Jesus? One gospel. You pick the gospel, but stick with that gospel until it's over. One story per day. One story a day. In your dorm room, in the community, faculty, staff, student. Doesn't matter. Number two, 
Reread the, re the story to relive it. Just go back over. Let the story come alive in your mind. Number three, what fresh water can I drink from Jesus? Ask yourself, where's this water in this story? It's, it's Jesus' life. There's water here. Holy Spirit, show me where the water is. Once you find water, write an email to Jesus. Number four, you, you write him an email. You just sit down and you scribble it out. You write it out. You just write it and respond to the gift of water that you just sensed from that reading. And finally, number five, you then kneel down before the maker and creator of the universe who is your personal friend and you offer your life for that new day to Him and then you're gone. Every day, fresh water with Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Because I remind you that with Jesus, the water never stops. Even when they kill Him, whew, water. Even when they kill Him, He never runs out. With Jesus, the water never runs out. He's thirsty on the cross so that we would never be thirsty again. With Jesus, the water never runs out. Everybody who says that's good news, say amen with me. Amen. <laughs>